0: We have been in this sermon series for a bunch of weeks now, and it's been it's led us all the way it's led us all the way through Lent, and uh, and next week we're we're kind of like in the in the hot spot in the sweet spot right now for Lent. Okay, so we're two weeks away from Easter, so that means that next Sunday is what's known as Palm Sunday, and so that's exciting. I'm Really looking forward to next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that is Easter. So um, we work really hard all every Sunday to try to create a church that's that's uh, that, that where you can feel proud to invite a guest. You can feel fr- proud to invite somebody who maybe even doesn't believe a lot of the things that we believe because we want to create a space where people can ask questions and dig in and just see what we see and, and see why we value Jesus and see Jesus. is so beautiful and so amazing. Um, so Easter's the perfect time to do that. So perhaps you got friends, family in town, but uh, Easter is the perfect time to invite them to West Side. Um, but we're really, really looking forward to it. Also, we're going to be doing baptisms on that Sunday. And so a bunch of people signed up to get baptized. And the the, the window's not completely closed on getting ba- water baptized on Easter. So if you are feeling like that's a step you're ready to take and want to take, or maybe one of your kids is at an age where you feel like they're ready for that, then please let us know. Talk to us. We'd love to be able to help you take next steps and get water baptized. Um, but uh, Lent is this 40-day season- period right before uh, Easter, and it's sort of designed to prepare our hearts and get Get us excited, and Lent is a new thing for me. I grew up in a church. I, I was one of the, I was a church kid. I grew up in church all growing up, but I grew up in a, in the kind of churches where we didn't do Lent or Advent or any sort of church calendar things, and so. Lent is new for me this season, and it's been uh, it's been challenging, it's been really good, and we've been sort of, as a church, kind of walking through, it. and what I discovered is that churches all over the world, um, and historically, Christian churches have have walked through the on these Sundays and read the very same passages of Scripture together, and so today, the passage of Scripture that's sort of prescribed to us because of this Lent season that we're in, and churches all over the world sort of also looking at this passage of Scripture, comes from the New Testament book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And John is, is an eyewitness account, and he's writing all the different things that he experienced and saw in Jesus's life. And it brings us to chapter 11, and something kind of famous happens in chapter 11. In fact, if you're not even familiar with Bible stuff very much, you probably heard about this guy named Lazarus that Jesus raises from the dead. We're going to look at that passage of Scripture. Now, I realize, too, if you're here and it's like this is sort of new and you're you're, pr- you're probably skeptical of the idea that anybody's raising from the dead, you know? Um, and you've heard that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but you know, Lazarus, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, what's that all about? You know, I, I believe in science, you know, I can't believe, you know, things like that. And, and, and you know, listen, we understand, we understand, that's, well, that's, that's, a, that's a game changer, you know? Somebody can rise from the dead. Um, and so those are important questions to process through, and we're glad you're here processing those as we are. But listen, if you can just sort of suspend sort of that, that uh, you know, that disbelief for a second, if you can just sort of like, okay, put that on hold, what Jesus is about to do with Lazarus and Lazarus's family is, um, is tremendous, is tremendous. In fact, it's sort of like humbling just even p- preaching on this this morning, um, because what Jesus essentially does in this passage is Jesus stares death and grief in the face. He just stares it down. And I'm so glad that we have a God that, that is willing to stare it down because um, you know, I get to do a lot of weddings as a pastor, which is super, super fun. Um, weddings are my favorite. It's much more, much more exciting than funerals because I have to do funerals too sometimes. And uh, you've all uh, been to a funeral, and not only that, you've all experienced loss. Um, you've experienced grief. I had a stepbrother. He was in sixth grade, and uh, he was up on, up on Whidbey Island. There's a beautiful bridge up there, Deception Pass. And uh, he was there with some buddies, and he fell off Deception Pass. He was in sixth grade, and lost his life. And I remember... I remember getting the news, and we we shot up there to be with family. And I remember walking into the house. You know that. You know that moment. I mean, we, some of you have been there when you've just encountered grief. You just walk in the house, and it's just like it's just heavy. You know, what do you say? I mean, what do you? Where do you go first? Do you go to like? the vegetable tray first you know or do you like go right to the grieving person first I mean you're just you just don't know what to say or do and it's it's really really difficult and challenging um I remember several years ago I got a phone call on a Saturday morning it was Jeannie Jeannie called me on a Saturday and my friend Milo Skinner was flying in his plane with his grandpa and his plane went down and he died and Jeannie broke the news to me and I remember going to uh to his To his wife's house, to his widow's house, and uh, same thing. (laughs) I'm a pastor, like I know, you know, I'm supposedly, I know what I'm supposed to do with grief, and yet I'm here, and I just, you know, what do you, what do you say? You just feel it. Um, I had um, my my sister, my sister was pregnant, and and she um, had a stillborn baby at right around eight and a half months, and we were there at the hospital and probably one of the heaviest moments I've ever felt where we literally sort of just took turns like holding, holding the baby and saying goodbye. And this passage of scripture right here, Jesus is about to do something tremendous. And Jesus is about to inject deep, deep hope into the middle of all the death that we experience in our lives. Jesus is about to do something that no other religious leader did or, or even claimed to do. Jesus looks and stares death right in the eyes. He says, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. This is what happens. This is Jesus. He's walking around preaching, teaching, and uh, and he gets word that a good friend of his, Lazarus, is sick and possibly on death's doorstep and here's here's how it goes I'm just going to read it to you we're going to kind of creepy crawly through it pull a couple of things out of it first is this um, John chapter 11 starting in verse 1 a man named Lazarus was sick he lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha and we've heard about Mary and Martha before there's a couple other passages about them and their relationship Uh, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair her brother Lazarus was sick So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. What we know already from this story is that these are friends. Okay, these are brothers and sisters. And Jesus is their friend. Um, Lazarus is a guy that Jesus loves. And Jesus Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and he's on death's door. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed there, stayed where he was for the next two days. Jesus about is about to be really late to the party. Jesus is about to be really late, and I know you've experienced in your life, in my life, you felt like Jesus has been late. You've prayed, you've asked for something to come through, and and it didn't happen, and you just, and you're frustrated. And one of the first places that we go, it's sort of natural for us when we feel like Jesus is late, is to doubt his love for us, is to doubt his care for us. It's like, Jesus, if you really cared, if you really loved us, then you wouldn't be late to the party on this. But what we see from the story right away is that that, that that's not true of Jesus. Jesus, it's not a lack of care or love. Something else is going on here. But Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves these two sisters. And yet, and yet he's, he's late. Um, He's about 18 miles away at this point from where, from where Lazarus is. Um, I mapped it out. Trader Joe's is exactly nine miles from where we are right here. So Jesus is a a Trader Joe's tripping back on foot or maybe by donkey, perhaps, I don't know, um, away from, away from Lazarus. So he's far but not, you know, but not incredibly far. If he's like serious, he's going to get right there. Here's what happens. Verse 7. Finally, he said to the disciples, "Let's go back to Judea." But his disciples objected, "Rabbi," they said, "only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again?" And then we're going to skip around a little bit because there's, I encourage you to read this whole passage on your own because there's just all these little dialogue and things happening, but we're just going to get to the meat of it. Verse 11, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply, simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus has, had died. So, verse 14, he told them plainly, and this is like a, like a, a face palm moment for Jesus, that Jesus would have a lot with his disciples. He's like, hey, he's asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples are like, oh, he's only asleep. And Jesus is like, oh, disciples. Oh, okay, no, no, no. <laughs> let, me, let me be a little bit more plain, okay? Um, he says, no, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let us go to him. Verse 17 it says this, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mary got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you would have been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. But even now, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. There's so much faith in Martha. She says, man, I I know something can happen here. And Jesus told her in verse 23, he says, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Martha's like, yeah, I know he'll rise. I mean, I know he's not gonna rise now, but like, you know, when, when, we all, when, like, when you come fully and completely and all things are made new, then, you know, I know, that, I know that he'll rise. And then Jesus says to her some of the most famous words in the New Testament. Jesus' words to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? It's an astounding thing that Jesus is saying. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I'm bringing the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say that, he doesn't say I'm pointing to the resurrection and the life. Notice that Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm kind of like a here a prophet and I sort of know the rules to like have new life and if we just follow these steps or do these things or I'm gonna point to that. Jesus doesn't do any of that, unlike every other religious leader that has come along. Every other religious leader says, hey, I'm not the light, but I know I'm pointing to the light. And here's Jesus, this incredible claim. He says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He says, do you believe this, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Versus, this is verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same question, same, same statement that her sister Martha made. Mary says the same thing. Jesus, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, "Come, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. This is John eleven thirty five. 35. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Can you just say with me, Jesus wept. We just memorized scripture this morning, everybody. There you go. You got it. Jesus wept. You know you memorized some scripture this morning. Um, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Verse 36, the people who were standing nearby said, how, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So you see there's there's different kinds of people there around the tomb. There's people who are like, oh, man, Jesus is here. And there's other people who are skeptical, like, wait a minute. I mean, if he's the Messiah, then how come? And Verse 38 says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. <clears throat> but Martha, um, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Now, the the, the King James Version actually says, He stinketh. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, there you go. It literally says, No, don't roll the stone away, for he stinketh. That's what it says. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people, this is verse 45, many of the people who who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And if there was a soundtrack to this story, this would be where, like, the imperial death march, you know, would start. Right here. Dun, 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 dun. Because a couple verses later, here's what it says. And this is really significant. We're going to come back to this later at the end. But in verse 53, it says, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. They hear the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they say, No, we cannot have this. They'll start following him and not us. They'll listen to his words and not ours. We need to get rid of this man. And from that moment forward, they're plotting, trying to get Jesus to the cross. Um, Okay, what does this tell us? What can this possibly tell us? Um, Two things, really. It tells us something really important about us, and it tells us a couple of really important things about him tells us something important about us. It tells us some really important things about God. Listen, if you're here today and just, you know, you have questions about who God is, this, is one of, this passage is a beautiful place to see some of the reasons why we, f- we think Jesus is amazing, tremendous, incredible, beautiful, lovely Savior of the world. Um, first thing it tells us is it tells us some things about us. Uh, in the snowpocalypse that we had not too long ago, by our, our house back here, there's a, uh, the skate park that's back there. And so one of our favorite things to do whenever there's ice is we go to the skate park because it becomes like a sweet sledding run, you know, like all around the skate park. And so we kind of slide down the things, but there's this like sort of a pool sort of area at the skate park where um, there's no like easy, there's no like stairs to get into it. It's just like a, like a pool, like an empty pool basically. So you kind of get in there and you're supposed to skateboard around, but we like to get in there or actually I like to put my kids inside there because there's no way for them to get out. It's impossible. We tried it, okay? Uh, we put them in that thing, and then like, and then they try. They just try. And they even like work as a team, like trying to hoist each other up and push each It's just too icy. They're just stuck in there. And then I just stand back and laugh. I just giggle at the whole thing because it's so fun. And then one time, though, I was trying to get one of them out, and then I fell in. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a grown man. I'll be fine. And guys, I worked hard to try to get out of there. It was tough. It was really, really tough. Um, you, Oh, nice. Good job. You got out. Um, so, uh, I bring that story up because our, our current cultural moment, and and you've heard me use this illustration before. This is really the best one I've got Is our current cultural moment wants to tell us a story about who you are. It wants to tell me a story about who I am. And the story is this, is that, listen, your biggest problem, your biggest problem is that you're just, you're just stuck in a hole. You're just stuck. You know, your body is not where it needs to look like. You know, your money is not where it needs to be. Your career doesn't look like it needs to be. People aren't, you know, following you like they're following that person or that person. You know, you're just sort of stuck in a hole. And so all you need then, all you need if you're stuck, if you're a person stuck in a hole, all you need is a rope, right? All you need is a rope if you're going to get stuck out of the hole. And our culture loves to sell us ropes, Oh, your body's not good enough? Oh, just buy this product. And then people will think you're, then you'll be beautiful. Then you'll be somebody. Oh, you don't have, you know, you don't have this, you don't have a boat? Oh, you need a, a boat to be somebody. Like, just buy a boat and then, you know, then you'll be some, Just fill in the blank, whatever, whatever your, pick your poison, whatever it is for all of us. Um, that's, that's what our culture tries to sell us. I went to the, uh, the checkout stand this morning and, uh, and I, picked up, I picked up men's health. Men's health and, and women's health, I also, also known to me as my second Bible. Yeah. That was a joke, everybody. I was kidding. Um, I was actually super embarrassed, like, just buying these at the register, you know? And, but I bought these because, you know, you look at these magazines, and here's what, you'll, here's what you'll see. You'll see, man, if you want to be somebody, man, arms, abs, chest. That's what you need. Right. Um, Here's one article on page 42. Are you gross? Question mark, exclamation point. (laughs) Presumably, if we go to page 42, here's what we'll discover is I'll discover if I'm gross and you know what it's going to do. It's going to it's going to show me some things that I need to do so that I'm not gross. And it's going to be just like a bunch of it's going to be a bunch of these. Right. Same is true with this magazine. Ladies, you're just inundated with it all the time. Are you going to be somebody? Are you going to be important in this world? Well, then here's what you need to be. Here's what you need to look like. Here's what you need to become. Ropes, 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 ropes. Now, the Bible has a word for this. The Bible, call, we, we could call them ropes, but the Bible calls them idols. And they're things that we worship. They're things that we worship to try to get the thing that we need. Because if the story is, is that you and I are just stuck in a hole, then, then really we, we, don't, we don't need a savior. We just need a rope. We just need to buy some products and just, you know, figure it out and then we'll be fine. But the world is not that simple. And the Bible has a different prognosis about what our biggest problem is. The Bible says that you are not in a hole. It's actually way worse. You're in a grave. You're in a coffin. You're in a tomb. No, and what's a, what's a dead guy going to do with a rope? You remember Weekend at Bernie's? Remember that one? I mean, what, what, what's a dead person going to do with a bunch of ropes? He says, No, 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 you don't need a, need a, don't need a rope. No, no, no. The Bible says, the Bible it gives you prognosis, then, then worse than the world is going to tell you. But then, but then Jesus is going to come along and say, But listen, I'm bringing something way better than a rope. I'm bringing resurrection. I'm bringing new life. I'm not just here to give you a rope. See, listen, maybe some of your relationships with God has, has felt really shallow. And maybe one of the reasons is because, because God for you is a rope vendor. And as long as God is a rope vendor for you, you come to him and pray to him to give you all the ropes. And when essentially he's not your savior, it's the things that you're praying for, that those are the things that, are, that you think are going to be your savior's. And listen, if you come to Jesus as your rope vendor, your relationship with him will be will be shallow because Jesus is not in the, in the business of selling ropes. He doesn't do that. Jesus comes and gives us something so much better. He gives us a resurrection. Do you have, do you have ears to hear that this morning, that, you know, that you're not caught in a, in, a, in, a, in a hole? You are caught in a grave and you need a resurrection. That's what this story tells us. Um, about ourselves. Jesus is encountering this group of people. There's nothing they can do. Lazarus is is dead. He's in the grave. It just seems like all is lost. But Jesus comes and brings a resurrection. And what can we learn about Jesus? Well, a couple things. (laughs) A couple things we can learn about Jesus. First, Jesus is high and low in exactly the way we need most. Let me explain. Jesus is high and he's low in exactly the way that you and I need most. Um, the, the, often the argument against the idea that God, that the God of the Bible is an actually real thing, that the, when atheists and agnostics argue against whether there's a God or not, or, or at least the, the kind of God that, that Christians say that there is, that we believe that there's a God that's all-powerful and he's all-good. That he's, that he's pure and good and right and that he's both of those things the argument goes the argument goes that 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 can't be possible because if God was all powerful if he could prevent evil and suffering but he chooses not to then that means that he cannot be good or perhaps maybe God is good but he is and he wants to do something about evil and suffering in the world but he but but he but he can't and so maybe he's loving and good but he's not But he can't be all powerful. He can't be both at the same time, as one theologian um, said, Lex Luther from Batman versus Superman. um, He says, "If God is all powerful, he cannot be good, and if God is good, he cannot be all powerful." But I just submit to you this: Look at what Jesus does with this question. Remember when Mary and Martha come to him and they and they say, "Jesus, if you would have been here." My brother wouldn't have died. They ask him the same question. And notice that Jesus responds absolutely differently to each of these women. To Martha, he's, he's, to Martha, he's like, he's bold. He's powerful. He's like Lord over the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is not going to stay in the grave. I mean, Jesus is just, he's like, he's like the, the king over death. And he says, no, don't you worry. And then with, when, when Mary asks him the same question, what does Jesus do? He weeps with with, Mar- with with Martha. He sort of like he sort of joins the flow of her heart, and with and or sorry with, with Martha, he like he sort of con- like confronts the flow of her heart. She's like, I know he'll get resurrected in the future. He's like, No, 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 it's going to happen today. But with Mary, he like he enters into the flow of her heart. She's weeping and grieving, and so she, he just he just goes there with her. This is to me, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage of seeing Jesus for who he is. He is both high and low. He is king over, over life and death. And yet at the same time, he's, he's weeping with with he's feeling. He's he's it's, it seems like he's in that moment when he's just trembling with, with with and crying with the crowd. It's almost like he's he's powerful with Martha, but he's powerless with Mary. What's the deal with that? How can you have both of those together? And, and, other, and other world religions would, would say the same thing. No, you can't have both. You either need to have a God who's completely outside of us or completely inside. But you can't have both. But in Christianity and in Jesus, we have both. We have both. We have a God that comes in and he's high and he's low. And really, if you think about it, this is exactly, this, you know this. This is exactly what you know that you need most you know that you need you need both in your life. You need a God that actually has answers to death. You need a God that actually has answers to grief. And yet at the same time you need a God who isn't just so far above it that he's like, "Okay, you know, just just get your crying over because the resurrection's coming." No, no, no. You've got a God that's that's there in the mud with us. We need both, and in Jesus we have both. Great quote great quote from Tim Keller, here's what he says. He says this. To be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. To be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything else. That God knows you, he loves you, he's grieving with you, and yet he still has answers. By the way, this is a great sort of sort of instruction for us about how we get to bring our ministry into the world around us. Because as followers of Jesus, we get to go be ministers wherever, wherever we are. And just like Jesus, that we learn from this passage, it's important that we bring both the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears. Truth and Tears. See, if somebody comes to you and you're sort of grieving or you're struggling through something and all they have is truth but no tears, I mean, they might give some good advice, but it's like, ah, but you know, you're not sure if they actually care. But if somebody comes to you and you're grieving and they have all tears, but like, and and that's comforting, but no no answers to it, it's just, we're just sort of left sort of steeping in it, then that's, then ultimately that's not helpful either. And what Jesus does for us and what the world needs for us is to be people who are walking around in our lives and we're bringing both of those things. We're bringing truth and we're bringing tears. That we're grieving with others and feeling their pain and coming alongside. But also, but also there's truth, there's hope, there's answers. There's a tra- trajectory to this life. And death doesn't have to have the final say in your story. We need both. And the more you get to know Jesus and the more you walk with him, the more you'll grow in both. Usually, though, this room is filled with people that you might be really good at tears and not very good at truth. And you might be really good at truth, but not very good at tears. But the more you get to know Jesus and the more you're with him, you'll see that those two things will grow in your life. Here's another thing that we see about Jesus is we see that Jesus weeps with you. Jesus weeps with you. Um, Let's talk about these tears Jesus is at a funeral, right, and he brings his tears, and these tears are really strange. I don't know. you got to think about this. I've, I've been thinking about this. These tears are really strange because Jesus, in this moment, when he's crying in front of Lazarus' tomb and crying with Mary and the whole rest of the people who are grieving, these tears are strange because Jesus has two things that we don't have and that the rest of them didn't have. Jesus had power over death, and Jesus um, had knowledge of what was, gonna, what was about to happen, he had power and he had knowledge about what was about to happen. And so you think, why is Jesus crying? Because you think Jesus would sort of be like, would be like okay, I know you guys are crying, but you just wait like 15 seconds. Like, it's <laughs> I'm going to turn this funeral into a feast. Don't you worry. I mean, Jesus kind of has this, like, hidden, like, this inside joke that nobody else knows, right? So why would he cry? It's almost like when, I'm at, when I watch Oregon Duck football games, I get so nervous. There's parts that I can't watch. I just have to go to another room because I'm just like, I just so want them to win. I just so want them to do good. And I just, like, I know they're going to screw it up. And, like, no, I don't want them to screw it up. I've, been, I've got PTSD, right, from, like, you know, some games in the past. I'm like, ah. And so uh, so it's hard for me, you know, to, uh, to, 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 to watch those games, right? And sometimes yeah, I'm with a big group of people and everybody's feeling all the same angst, you know, like, come on. But what if, I mean, picture this, what if I had gone to the future and I knew exactly what was going to happen in that game? They were going to go to overtime and then and they were going to go to the second overtime and in second overtime, we were going to score a touchdown, we win the game. Like, what if I just knew that? And so I'm sitting with this group of people and everybody else is like, no! Oh, come on you know and I'm just sitting there like you just you wait guys like i I'm, you know like Brooks why aren't you upset I'm like how oh, you know I'm just uh, I'm just you know I'm just seeing what happens <laughs> you know I just I know what's going to happen and so why is Jesus crying I'll tell you why he's crying Jesus is crying because he's perfect Jesus is crying because he cares Jesus is crying because even though he knows he's about to turn this funeral into a feast, he is with them in their suffering and their pain. He feels it. Do you know what Jesus is feeling? Jesus is feeling that he knows that even though he's interrupting this funeral, he is grieving and crying over all the funerals that he is not going to interrupt. See, so Jesus hasn't interrupted every single, every single funeral And Jesus is there. He's he's encountering Lazarus' death, but in a way he's encountering all death. He's feeling the pain of it. And he's in it. He's he's feeling it. He's crying. Jesus cries with us because he cares. Listen, Hinduism and Buddhism and naturalism, they won't cry with you. Do you know that Darwin won't cry with you? Because... That's how the life, how, That's that's how evolution works, <laughs> is people die, and we just move on and we deal with it. See, so those other faith systems won't cry with you, but Jesus, he will cry with you. Here's another thing: the, Jesus not only weeps with us, but also Jesus comes to do battle with our greatest enemy. Jesus comes and does battle with our greatest enemy. Not only does Jesus bring tears, but also he brings rage. Do you notice this in the story? This is another fascinating little piece. Jesus brings anger. And a couple different points in the passage. Verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and saw that the other people were wailing with her, a deep anger welled up with him, and he was deeply troubled. And then in verse 38, it says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Who's Jesus angry at? Is he angry at the people who are mourning? Is he angry? Like, like why are you guys crying, you sissies? Come on, I'm about, to, I'm about to do some awesome stuff. Is he angry at them? No. I mean, is he angry at, you know, is he, is, he, is he angry at Lazarus for dying? No. I mean, what's Jesus angry at? Jesus in this moment is angry at death. He's not only weeping with the grief that death brings, but he's angry at death itself. And this word, when it says that he was deeply troubled, I mean, this Greek word that they use is this like, it's, it's, it's a word that's used for like, like a guttural cry that usually comes from animals. That Jesus is literally like quaking with rage. He's angry at death. And Jesus is staring death in the face in this moment. Just angry, saying, I see the trouble that you cause. I see the pain that you cause. You are not going to win. What is Jesus going to do with this death? And how is he going to win? i got to wrap it up. Listen. How is Jesus going to conquer this death? How is he going to go to battle with this death? Well, we know what he does with Lazarus, right? We know that he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. He turns the funeral into a feast in that moment. That's awesome. But think about this. Remember that Lazarus Lazarus doesn't stay alive forever. Lazarus dies again. That's kind of a bummer for Lazarus, right? Like, Just imagine like the second time around, it's like, Jesus, I hope you show up again. Or, like, oh, I've been through this before. You know, I don't know, like, what he was, what it was, what, was, what that whole deal was about. But, you know, Lazarus was raised again, but, but Jesus didn't deal a final death blow to death in that moment. He did it for Lazarus. But the final death blow is, is still to come. What's God going to do with death in our lives, with grief in our lives? Um, well, the passage tells us, it tells us. In verse 53, it says, from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. See, Jesus knows that if he's going to come and interrupt this funeral, he is going to start the clock ticking on his own death. You see what's happening here? Jesus knows, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but in doing so, I'm painting this huge target right here and right here, and death is coming for me. Jesus knew that the only way to give Lazarus life was to give himself over to death. And right now, everyone, we're looking over into the into the mystery of the cross and what Jesus did for us when he died for us. And I don't want to steal next week's thunder because that's what we're going to peer into next week, into Jesus on the cross, his payment for us. So we can't, I can't say any more about that. But here's how I'll close. and. Uh, And band, why don't you come on up? We're going to to respond this morning by taking communion. But as the band's coming up, listen, just listen to me. Um, Here's the good news. Here's the good news. That Jesus doesn't just offer a consolation prize. He offers a resurrection. He offers a resurrection. That one day death will be consumed. That death doesn't have the final say in our stories. That the grief that you've experienced because of loss it, it, you, you feel it, and you're supposed to feel it, and Jesus feels it with you. He feels it with you, but listen death will not win, grief will not last forever. Because Jesus is coming and he's bringing something way more than just a consolation prize. He's bringing a resurrection. He's bringing new life. Death won't win. This, it's exactly what C.S. Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia in, uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When it says that when the stone table was cracked, then like, death started working backwards. The Death started just like unraveling backwards. It's like in Lord of the Rings when Frodo thinks, you know, when he thinks that all hope is lost. But Gandalf comes and rescues the day. And this is what Frodo says. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? That's the question, isn't it? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And Jesus is the only one that can come and bring us hope and life to that question. Yes, everything sad will come untrue. I have this reoccurring dream sometimes, it doesn't happen that often, but I just have this dream sometimes I wake up like just with a with a jolt because I have these, these dreams sometimes about one of my kids dying. I don't know if you've had, if you're a parent, you've probably had that dream before and it's, it's, it's horrible. And You wake up in that moment and there becomes, there comes a moment of, of incredible um, elation because you know that it was all a dream. And in that moment, all that sadness becomes untrue. All that sadness unravels and comes untrue. That's what Jesus promises when you follow him, when you trust him that he will turn death on its heels and make all things right. It doesn't happen in the timing that we want. Sometimes we feel like he's late to the party. But never doubt, God loves you. He cares about you. He is at work doing stuff in your life, resurrecting dead things that need to be resurrected in your life. And ultimately, we get to look at the mystery of the cross next week. And then the next week, Easter's coming. Easter's coming. Death is arrested. Death is done. Jesus is alive.